Welcome to Telltales, an investing podcast hosted by Hunt Lawrence, Jason Wallace, and Mike Nicoletti. Each week, we discuss topics ranging from geopolitics and macroeconomics to energy and technology. You can sign up for our newsletter at telltales.us. That's T-E-L-L-T-A-L-E-S dot U-S for additional data and content you can use to follow along. The following conversation is intended for informational purposes only. You should always do your own work to determine if an investment is suitable for you. Hey, Jason. Hunt, how's it going? Excellent. Excellent. Let's hurry through the back of the book here uh, because we've got a lot on the first couple of pages. There's an OPEC meeting scheduled for Sunday, and there's some news feed this morning that the Saudis don't want to attend. They don't think that sufficient prep has been done. That's a little alarming. You look at Exhibit C here, Saudi Arabia for 24 is down to 9.3. I think actually the number is 9. And they don't want to go down more because the U.S., this has the U.S. at 12.7. I think the U.S. is actually over 13 million barrels. And Russia is running under 10.1. But the Russians famously never live up to commitments to reduce production. And the risk here is that the Saudis get upset and say, if people won't live within their quotas, we'll just go for market share. We'll rather than produce 9 million barrels a day, we'll produce 11. See how you like that. So hopefully nothing like that happens, but that is a, is a risk over the weekend and into early next week. I redid exhibit B on gas. Here we definitely have overproduction. If you look at 24 and 25 gas production, I moved it up to 104 and 106. I mean, I had to. We're already doing 104 in October and November. A good question is, where is it coming from? You see that gas supply increasing 9Bs from 21 to 23 with five of that in the Permian. I think it's coming from the Permian. So it's a race between the production and the take-up on LNG. You can see I moved the take-up on LNG up, up a little, two Bs a day per year. But the thing that's come through, and I hope it continues to come through, is the power demand, which was flat. You see, in 2020, it was 31.9. You know, COVID year, then 21, it was 31.1. But in 22, it went up to 33, and 23, it went up to 35 and a half. So I've got that at 37 and 38. The pattern here, which is enormous amount of overproduction this year at three and a half, declining to one four and, and kind of break even in 25. Hopefully, that is the pattern. I think what's going to happen, that gas price, which has been holding in the 350 range for 24, is going to be more like the 23 price at 280, you know, I think it's going to average $3. But when I look at the future strip, the 25 price is still $4 or more. So it, it's disappointing about next year. Hopefully, hopefully it will, you know, that 24 price at $4 will turn out to be a good predictor of what the actual price is when we get there. Exhibit A, now I sound like a broken record, but you cannot have all other expenses away from interest and defense. 
go from 910 billion in 19 and be a trillion four in 23. We just can't have that. Now, the Democrats thought they had an, an agreement with the Republicans when they did the debt ceiling that they would be able to go to a continuing resolution at just 1% down from the 23 spending. The government's fiscal year winds up in September. I don't think the Republicans are going to stand for that. So they have extended a continuing resolution the time to do the 12 expenditure bills. I think the Democrats will drag their feet in the Senate. They don't really want to do the expenditure bills and go into conference with the House. And I worry that the House simply will not do a continued resolution to last all year. So that all will have to get worked out by the middle of January. With that, we did page 20 last last week, fortunately. Now we need to move to the front of the 20-pager. And even though NVIDIA reported yesterday, lots to talk about NVIDIA and chips in general. This episode of Telltales is brought to you by Top Mark Capital. They're not your typical hedge fund. They use a blend of best practices from value investing, venture capital, and private equity, which gives them a unique perspective on market dynamics. And the results truly speak for themselves. So, if you're a qualified investor who's looking for an innovative, emerging manager, visit topmarkcapital.com to learn more. This is not an offer to sell or a recommendation to purchase or a solicitation of an offer to buy any security nor a recommendation for any investment product or service. And now, back to the show. I think we have to go to OpenAI first and its impact on Microsoft. But I've been talking with Mikey each morning. I'm, I'm very interested in, in, in getting three or four or five minutes from Jason on what all this means in terms of the open AI board, which is basically academics deciding that Sam Altman should be fired. Is this good news for other people trying to progress their own language models? Is it good or bad news for Microsoft? Can you put Humpty Dumpty back together again? What's what's your take on all this, Jason? Yeah, I you know as the news unfolded since since last time we we were on the call, OpenAI has fired its founding CEO. It's hired two interim CEOs, completely replaced its board of directors, and rehired the original CEO. So that that happened in what four days. Um, as all that was unfolding, the whole time I'm thinking, is this good or bad for Microsoft? Um, I never came to any conclusion and what it appears today is that everything is kind of just going to go on as status quo um so when the when the board removed sam altman as a ceo um the majority of employees either did quit or threatened to quit um and and that upset everyone else involved in the situation, right? Especially Satya Nadala and, and Microsoft. And uh, so they've, they've kind of patched everything back together. But if you think about the board, uh, you know, of, of OpenAI's structure, it's, it's very convoluted. Uh, there's a, a nonprofit foundation who has the board of, that we're discussing, the board of directors that they were put in place 
to make sure AI research essentially did not threaten humanity. That was their charter. And since that time, they've developed this structure where there's a capped for-profit entity, OpenAI. Sam Altman's the CEO of, of this for-profit organization. And he's since, as he should, be, has been pushing products, um, rapid development of those products, and monetizing them. Um, this is at odds with the nonprofit's charter. They wanted to slow down development of these AI tools and ultimately that that mismatch that mismatch of of goals is boiling over um i think you know some of the people were put in place on the nonprofit side because they did believe that ai poses this existential threat to humanity um sam altman publicly says that uh, i think because of the structure of OpenAI, but his actions contradict those statements. He's he's rapidly developing these products. Um, it looks like regulatory captures the goal of of him saying uh, that AI needs to be heavily heavily regulated. So, um, you know, it's 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 not surprising that something happened. I guess, in, in my opinion. Um, you know, they're fundamentally at odds the way they structure this organization. I think it has to be unwound and ultimately it has to be a for-profit business. I mean, they're, they're generating, I, I believe they said they're going to generate a billion in sales this year through the chat GPT products. So, you know, I, I think in, in the end, I think it goes on a status quo with Microsoft's relationship with them. It's it's too important of a of a tool for Microsoft. I know Mike has some strong opinions on uh, the the structure of OpenAI's organization. I mean, the only thing I would say is just to echo what you said is that the the structure does not conduce conducive to um, what they were doing. So um, the new board should be an improvement over the old board for a lot of reasons. Um, but don't be surprised if there's more changes from here. It will be very hard, I think, to dismantle the relationship between the nonprofit and the for-profit because I think that if you invested in the for-profit, you have a commitment after a certain rate of return or times on your money to turn the additional profit back to the nonprofit. And... I don't know how, with regulations, tax and otherwise, that affect the nonprofit, you dismantle that. Any thoughts there, Mike? No, but I, you know, there's a will, there's a way. I think it'd probably be expensive and painful and and whatnot. But it, you know, at the end of the day, Microsoft gets what they want out of it, which is access to the IP, and the IP continues developing. That, that's the end goal. So there's probably many ways to get there. And the question is, does this new board actually change that? I don't really know. I mean, some of, one of the interim or replacement CEOs had basically said they wanted to take the development pace of OpenAI from what it is today at 10 and slow it to a one. So um, very contradictory with you know, likely what Microsoft wants. And, yeah. and one day over the weekend, 
it appeared that Microsoft was going to hire Sam Altman and the majority of the team. And they couldn't bring the IP with them. But as we've discussed, we think the moat is really the data. So if these guys can quickly replicate the work that they've done, Microsoft obviously has the resources to do all the training, um, which is the expensive, time-consuming part. Um, Microsoft could have owned it all in-house. Without paying more than they've already put up. Jason, haven't they put up something like nine or ten billion dollars for half of the for-profit business yeah the 10 to 15 i believe okay yeah i remember not all of that was paid out this cash uh, a lot of that was commitment some, for some of credits. it was time yeah right. credits credits yeah impact impact on google and apple and amazon anything that hurts the Microsoft chat uh, relationship probably helps the others on some level. Yeah, over the weekend, you saw a lot of people, CEOs of other big tech companies offering to hire anybody from OpenAI and match salary if they came over. Um, Mark Benioff himself, Salesforce was extremely uh, vocal about that. Um, so it, the number of other companies were saying the same thing. So obviously these people are in high demand and the salaries are, are not insignificant. I think it was 770 people signed this petition of the, of the 795 or something like that. It was a very high per, 90 something percent of the employees were had basically said they were going to leave. So uh, a lot of people saw that as an opportunity to, to acquire talent. Anything that slows down open AI is beneficial for Amazon, um, Google, and the others. So, right. um, yeah, it's a tumultuous time. Yeah. One of the things, apparently, uh, Sam Altman was doing was traveling in the Mideast, trying to raise enough money, put together his own capability to design and then have TSMC manufacture GPUs. You think that is it all feasible or is that kind of more of a kind of a, a step too far, just unrealistic kind of step to try to take? The analogy we've used is you want to, you want to sail to the next ship shift since this is a, uh, you know, these sailing analogies, or if you're using a hockey analogy, you want to skate to where the puck is going. Um, and if you went out and build a chip today based on a model that exists today, in order to do inference or maybe for training for the next model. The pace of development that you're competing against is NVIDIA's and they're releasing a new generation of chips every year. I don't think any amount of money changes or develops that. I mean, that is a corporate um, competency that the only thing you could really compare it to is Intel, right? Intel did a very good job of moving down the Moore's Law curve for many, many years. Um, NVIDIA's were uh, operating at a faster pace than that. So I don't have high hopes for a new GPU um, that's going to um, steal that much market share. All right. Just before we get into the NVIDIA results, what in terms of risk to future revenue and profits in NVIDIA, 
what about uh, Google, I guess, has some kind of a GPU product that they use internally, and Amazon may be working on one or has one, Microsoft may. How much of a risk is that to NVIDIA, do you think, people with server farms developing their own GPUs? It's a good question. All of those cloud service providers are sort of taking the same approach is that we're going to provide everything. And right now, our consumers want NVIDIA chips. In their best case scenario for all of those, um, maybe not for Google, but in general for Amazon, the strategy is commoditize your complements. So they want open source models. They want it to run on their hardware and uh, they want to they want to be the preferred provider of that. The question is, will we get there or when will we get there? Um, does this market end up looking like um, Intel AMD? Right. It's, it's not really clear that what's different is that these cloud providers operate at such large scale that they can make very significant investments in chip design. And even if they're not competing on the leading edge chip, they're just optimizing large workloads that they know that they're going to have. They can save a lot of money, even if they're years behind, um, if they can design a more um, efficient chip for a particular workload. Can NVIDIA do $100 billion of revenues in 24, do you think? Yeah. Yeah, I think if they don't, it will be disappointing. Um, I think the, the the question is how much demand is there out there for this stuff? And, um, you know, how good is the next chip that makes every single cloud provider want to pump another $50 billion worth of um, spend into data center? That's, that's the budget for Microsoft for next year. So... Um, $50 billion is a pretty significant number. And you got to imagine that that's got to be 99% GPU data center. So, Yeah. Out of their earnings call, the estimate was they're capturing 30% of the data center spend, the CapEx. And Jensen... Jensen answered a question that implied that some of the new data centers being designed that he, I believe he called them AI factories. uh, The percent of spend going to NVIDIA is much, much higher than 30%. And there's a lot of other stuff that goes into a data center and power supplies and, and networking infrastructure and all that. Um, So maybe they do capture an, an ever larger percentage of data center spend. And to answer your question about the, the 100 billion, we estimated that their, maybe their max sales potential, I think last quarter, our estimate, um, a rough estimate was 80 billion just based on capacity to manufacture chips from TSMC. Um, and Jensen also addressed that. And, and someone asked him point blank is, can you continue to grow data center sales through 24 into 2025? And, and his reply was related to their supply chain and their capacity at TSMC. So I think they, they view it as they're going to be capacity constrained for another year. Um, so if TSMC keeps committing, as they've said, to, to increasing their, 
their capacity to manufacture and their packaging, their advanced packaging um, uh, facility that you know, th they could potentially hit that number. How soon before Taiwan Semiconductor is able to make equipment GPUs in Arizona as, as well as in Taiwan? Will it never happen or is it possible or how would you characterize it? I don't think it's even in the plans um, because the ones that they're setting up in the U.S. are kind of purposely behind so that they can learn all their lessons in Taiwan where they have their best people and then try to replicate that here in the States. Right. Chance for Huawei or someone turning out a GPU as competent or close to as competent as the NVIDIA latest product is that remote possibility or how would how would you rate the chances of that happening um jason you want to take this one i, I my, my opinion is that it'll be well over a decade before they can move that far up the to the leading edge but right um, right uh, they're they're curious you think differently no yeah so the the latest chips out of China, we're at seven nanometer fabs. There's, there's discussion they can maybe do five nanometer with the current DUV machines. It's, it's very complicated patterning that they have to do to, to be able to do this. Um, but NVIDIA is going to, to three nanometer and then two nanometer next. And that leap for the Chinese fabs might be too much. It'll be very difficult for them to get there without EUV machines. And even if they were to manufacture these chips, uh, we could look at it like AMD. So AMD, they're projecting next year to do $2 billion in GPU sales to the data center. Uh, NVIDIA just did $15 billion this quarter. So even if they did catch up hardware-wise as, as AMD did, there's still a huge gap in the software. And, and that's, that's going to be a big leap to overcome as well. If you're Azure or Amazon Web Services planning to install GPU capacity, are you inclined to do it new data centers so you can create better cooling, and, or or you or you inclined to put it into existing data centers? Or how do you make that decision? I, I think it's either a new data center or your your doing a pretty big upgrade to an existing one because it's not just the the heating and uh, the cooling and the power aspect. It's it's how the racks are construct, uh, constructed and, and networked together. So you're going to rethink a lot of, of how you've built your data center when you move it to, you know, an AI-focused data center. And, that, and that's part of Jensen's reason to say that the, the sales could increase from here is People are undertaking that um, that exercise, and as well, there's going to be a, an upgrade cycle coming. So these data center sales really ramped up a year ago. How long can these GPUs run at full blast? They've, you know, the, the crypto miners have seen it, and and they, I believe, they run them about two years before the the hardware needs to be replaced. So if there's a big cycle now of building out. A year from now, there's going to be a big cycle, replacement cycle. Oh, and I would add to that that there's also the cycle of of replacing software with new software, 
old software that runs on CPUs to new software that runs on GPUs. And the example that I can give is there was a research paper recently published that Hunt and I talked about this morning, I believe. Long story short is the, the weather model. So a lot of you, especially if you're into sailing, will know a little bit about the GFS weather, weather model. That weather model costs the U.S. taxpayer north of a billion dollars a year to run. This researcher basically was to able to do a better job than the GFS model with a relatively small generative large language model that would cost you know a, a fraction of a fraction as um, cost wise to to essentially do the same thing. So uh, you know the the thing the large scale compute problems that previously were done basically brute force with really really big data centers are going to move to a different format and that's a huge opportunity for uh gpus absolutely like i talk, talk this morning jason what do you think the chances of apple 16 or apple 17 having this kind of capacity i mean first of all will, <laughs> will it be too hot to touch or you know what what exactly is involved in getting that iphone replacement cycle where really everyone decides they need to have it. Yeah, I think it will be next the next iPhone. They've already gotten a little bit of trouble of the the latest ones were too hot to touch. <laughs> so they've they have to design around that, but that's a lot of the reason why they moved to the latest and most cutting edge node at TSMC's uh, fab. So they the smaller the chip generally the less power that it consumes performing an equal amount of computation. So, so they moved to that to have better battery life in the iPhone and also better heat characteristics. Um, and I, I do think they're going to optimize a chip specifically for some of these models and they're, and they're likely doing it right now. It's always going to be a game of catch up. Um, so it could be a good, it could be a good um, stimulus for the iPhone from generation to generation as you want to have the latest chip baked in that has the, the current models. Whether it's, you know, this time maybe it's a chat, a language model. Next time maybe it's an image generation. Three years from now, maybe it's a video generation model. What about implying GPUs to do the work that conventional chips used to do in laptops or other kind of office or at home products that are in addition where you might match them up with your iPhone or your Android phone. I guess you have the same cooling issues using GPUs and that equipment. Right. There's certainly a lot of talk around putting AI accelerators, GPUs essentially into the latest generation of laptops, but you're not going to move away. You're not going to be able to move away from multi-core CPUs. It's it's just that's that's how you have to control all your functions on your laptop. So that that won't be it won't be a major displacement. It's going to be the AIs as an added accelerator to your CPUs. Well, think about it this way, Jason. I I, th- I do think that a greater percentage of the total cost of a portable computing device, whether that's a PC or a laptop. Or, or a phone is going to go towards stuff that does G- GPU type of computation. 
So in the case of the, the new MacBooks, for example, there's a lot more GPU uh, on the board than there is. Um, oh, yeah, square square inch wise, there's more square inches of GPUs, I believe, than CPU. Uh, and I think that trend is just going to continue because we're, we've gotten so good at the um, deterministic process computing uh, these where we are today with building models and then the the hardware in order to to process the uh, and do the inference on on the models isn't we're not as far along down that road hardware or software wise so i I do think a greater share of the spend goes to those and whether that's an nvidia gpu on a laptop or an amd gpu on a laptop or a custom built one like apple uses their own uh, doesn't really matter what well, really the question is we don't really know yet is you know what kind of models are we going to want to use on edge devices um and i think that apple will probably be the leader there because everybody has an iphone in their pocket if they pick a model that is going to ha- kind of be pre-baked and ready to run better than others but likely it will be an open source one and uh, likely a lot of developers will move to using it so I, I, I do think it will be really cool to see what Apple does. Or disappointing if we're sitting here waiting next year saying, oh, well, maybe next year we'll do it. Well, we, I know we haven't talked about on this call the, uh, the White House's AI executive order, but that has a lot of impact on open source, uh, open, specifically open source AI models. Um, so that maybe that executive order might put Google in a very good position to do this on Android phones. Well, we've run out of runway here. Everyone have a good Thanksgiving. I think one of the things we're going to treat with next week, we're going to talk about the limits of large language models. In other words, where you run out, you know, you scrape all the data that's available. And we can talk about the content companies. We've talked about Netflix and Disney and Amazon Prime and whatnot. So. We'll, who knows what open AI news or uh, or, uh, or Davidia news we have at the end, but we definitely will get to the content uh, question uh, next week. In the meantime, everyone do well and stay healthy. Take care. Thank you for joining us this week. Please tune in again next week as we will be back on Wednesday. As a reminder, nothing on this podcast should be considered investment advice. You should always do your own work to determine if an investment is suitable for you. The views expressed on this podcast are the host alone and do not constitute an offer to sell or a recommendation to purchase or a solicitation of an offer to buy, any security nor a recommendation for any investment product or service. While certain information contained herein has been obtained from sources believed to be reliable, neither the host nor any of their employers or their affiliates have independently verified this information and its accuracy and completeness cannot be guaranteed. Accordingly, no representation or warranty expressed or implied is made as to and no reliance should be placed on the fairness, accuracy, timeliness, or completeness of this information. The hosts and all employers and their affiliated persons assume no liability for this information and no obligation to update the information or analysis contained herein in the future and may or may not hold positions in the securities mentioned. 